Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland here, one of the attorney bloggers on The Legal Geeks. With me today is a medical doctor, and why would I have a medical doctor? I'm not going to have an exam on a podcast, that'd be weird. We're here to talk about Doctor Strange, The Oath, as we gear up for the Doctor Strange movie coming out in November. And with me is Dr. Raja Karatri, his brother Neil presented with us at Comic-Con, and let's just say geek runs strong in this family. Doctor, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you. Like, I, I looked at your, your life adventure, and you're awesome. Could you share... What do what kind of doctor are you? So I'm, I, I specialize in, in pulmonary disease, which is lungs, intensive care medicine, and sleep medicine. So all three, actually. And you're a naval officer. I am. I am. I, I joined the Navy after I got all my specialty stuff done. I went ahead and, and signed up to join and had the opportunity to serve overseas a couple of times. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an adventure and really a, quite a privilege to do it. Yeah. So, Dr. Captain, thank you for your service, and thank you for being here, and let's get geeky. So, yes. t- tell us, I- I've seen your brother in action wearing you know, full Starfleet uniforms to our panel, and I know that runs in the family. It's genetic. What What's some of the geek things that you've enjoyed doing over the years? There's the, the simple things, like you know, watching your movies and reading science fiction. I, Asimov Science Fiction Magazine is one of my favorite things to read. It's just fantastic short story stuff. One of my hobbies is I'm an amateur radio operator, which is a little bit geeky. You know, guys hanging out on Saturday night. Seems totally normal. It's, <laughs> you know, I just, I've been finishing Stranger Things, and that's how we rolled in the 80s. That's what yes. we did. It's yeah. Dungeons and Dragons... Bicycles without helmets. We had those realistic walkie-talkies. You know, we, we were hardcore, and that was my childhood, minus the Department of Energy. So, so we, we chatted earlier about comics. What was the first comic that you read? The first comic I read was it was a, a late 70s Johnny Blaze era Ghost Rider. My parents didn't let me buy comics, so I had to kind of buy one on the side and I had that one comic I probably read it a hundred times. Awesome. That is grand. So let's talk about being a doctor. How long have you been an MD? 22 years. What's your practice area or areas? Well, so, you know, doing the, the lung disease and critical care and sleep medicine, it kind of spans like inpatient and outpatient medicine. So you might see me in the office for something minor like insomnia, which is what I want you to have. Because if you see me in the hospital, it's because you're on life support and things are pretty hairy for you. So that's it. That's what I do all day, every day. Thank you. Having been ill as a kid, I can imagine, you know, it's like how important it is for you know, caring doctors to be there, to be there for their patients. Well, let's talk about the oaths that doctors take. You know, to talk about the oath from Dr. Strange, we focus on the Hippocratic Oath. What is the Hippocratic Oath for, for our listeners? Yeah, so, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, or, you know, this is, a, it's old, right? Hippocrates, we're talking about like 200 BC when they, when they cooked this thing up. 
it's evolved over the years. And a guy, and I, I find this personally hilarious. The guy who wrote the modern Hippocratic Oath, his last name was Lasagna. And I love lasagna. So that's awesome, right? So regardless, he wrote this modern version of the Hippocratic Oath in the 60s. And basically, it's patient-focused. Let's, let's respect the patient, keep the patient's information secret. It's a professionalism oath. What does that mean to most doctors? So I asked around because it's not something we casually just sort of, you know, you're having a cup of coffee. Hey, man, what do you think about the Hippocratic Oath? No one says that. So I asked a few people and they said, oh, it's Latin, man. It's primum non nocere, which means first do no harm, which isn't actually in the oath. So everyone says that. Well, that's not what's in the oath. Um, but what it means to me, what it means to people when I actually start asking about it, it means being patient-centered, taking care of patients, focusing on their well-being, and maybe even expanding that to humanity beyond individual patients and trying to provide good health to the public. It's, I think it helps define why doctors and nurses are loved as professionals because you're hurt badly. I mean, it's a car crash or you're ill. Doctors are the ones who's like, don't worry, you know, like I will take care of you. And, you know, it's, and, and nurses are, you know, like they're the ones who are there at two o'clock in the morning to make sure you have your pain meds. So it's those professionals in the healing arts do great things. Now, there are a couple other oaths that doctors can take. What's, what's one of the others? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because I, I read the modern version of the Hippocratic Oath just recently and I thought, gosh, you know, that's not, that's not the one I took. <laughs> 22 years ago, wait a minute, what happened here? And it turns out at my school, we, we, did the, um, we did something closer to the Declaration of Geneva, which came out of the Geneva Conventions after World War II. So ours was more that. It has all the same components, just bullets instead of paragraphs. And, and then the other one that's um, popular is graduating medical school students will take is called the Oath of Maimonides, who was a, uh, a, a rabbi um, scholar in the 1200s who wrote something, again, historically based on the Hippocratic Oath, but um, framed a little bit differently. Um, all, all great oaths. I was like digging into the history of them. I was like, huh, that's different. And in seeing, you know, the, the, the patient focus that they've had over the millennia and, you know, the Geneva and the Helsinki uh, oaths and, and proclamations because of World War II and Mingala and, and all those horrible, yeah. evil. Yeah, bad stuff. Oh, yeah, evil. Uh, then, then there's also the oath of professionalism. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of our med schools use the oath of professionalism. There's one from the American Medical Association that they adopted in 2001, and they do it at the beginning of med school with what they call the white coat ceremony. We're going to invest you with your new white coat. You've never been a doctor. Here you go. This is the first symbol of office, like your crown and scepter. Take the oath of professionalism because you're not a doctor yet, but you still got to take this seriously. I remember when my cousin went through that and meant a lot to him. My, um, so I come from a family of dentists. And so mm -hmm. my maternal grandfather was a dentist, was a Hawkeye, worked his way through dental school at a candy store. One of his, 
one of his good friends from there, that time period, who was also a Hawkeye, became a surgeon. And, and when I was ill as a kid, he saved me. And he worked his way through medical school as a butcher, Ooh. which which I thought was hysterical. It sort of makes sense, right? Butcher, yeah. surgeon, but barber. The guy who worked at the candy store and the guy who was the butcher hung out together and were really good friends. And I, I just think that's awesome. And, and both represented the oaths that they took very, very nobly. But let's talk about Doctor Strange. Yeah, way cool. Exactly. I, are you excited for the movie? Oh, my God. I can't wait. I just, I'm edge of my seat. The, the pictures of Cumberpatch, Estrange, the previews, the fact he went shopping at the comic book store to buy the oath in his Doctor Strange costume, rock on. Huge. Well, that and throughout the Doctor Strange comic, The Oath, you know, he and the Night Nurse are referring to each other as Sherlock and, and Watson. And so the fact that with Cumberpatch, you know, that... Great. It's a two-for-one deal right there. But let's, let's talk about the, the duty of confidentiality in Doctor Strange, because for those who might not have read the comic in a while, Strange is brought in to see the night nurse, who's a doctor, and her name's Linda Carter, which, God bless Wonder Woman, so that's, that was a nice little tribute. And he's been shot, and while the night nurse is working on Strange, and she's talking to the doctor in his astral projection, Wong lies down, mentions his situation, and Strange tells the story while Wong then lies down of Strange treating Wong and getting shot while being treated by the night nurse. Do you see any potential issues with the duty of confidentiality that Strange would owe to Wong at that point in time? I thought about this and I kind of went back and forth over it because it's, it's a bit of a gray zone, isn't it? You know, and I struggled with it because I thought, you know, I talk to my physician colleague who might not be taking care of my patient and I say, here's some details. Let's bounce this idea off of you. Let's share this, you know, let me use your knowledge with my knowledge and that's kind of a breach of confidentiality looking for advice. Dr. Strange and the Night Nurse, though, they're a little different because he's not really asking the Night Nurse to take care of Wong. Not really, but kind of. It's complicated because it's, you know, thinking like putting the lawyer hat on and thinking about this because, you know, let's say I call your brother up and go like, hey, Neil, what do you think of X, Y, Z? You know, I haven't necessarily disclosed any client confidences, name, right. that sort of thing, and keeping it general to get a consult for, for his opinion and his thoughts on something. If we do need to like associate in, there, there's a way to do that. And so, hey, I'm bringing you in on this because I need your help. But with Dr. Strange, as a doctor who's a treating physician, telling a doctor who's not treating the patient... right. But he did lie down. There, there's no good, clean waiver here, but it's it's really it's almost like it's implied. And like to a degree, I'm thinking, well, what? Okay, what if what if me and my buddy, right? We both come in, and there's this other doc. And the doc's clearly treating me, but I know my buddy's got an issue, and I've been injured. What if I die? Like I got to make sure someone's there to take care of my guy. 
And so, hey, night nurse, look, I may be mortally wounded here. So just in case, Wong's got this situation over here and you got to take care of that when I'm gone. Yeah, I think that's legitimate. I don't know if there's any good statutory authority <laughs> to do that. This might be the, it made sense, we're just going to go with it decision. But he hadn't collapsed yet. And, you know, the fact he lied down, he might have been tired from dragging a shot dude, you know, into uh, the night nurse's little hospice for treatment. From her point of view, did she have objective facts to think that she could have two patients instead of one? Right. And and it's it's something the responsible physician does, right? Like, I'm here and... The guy who's clearly the guy I know comes in, he's got an injury. Then there's this other dude who's with him, and that guy laid down, and me sort of wearing my intensive care hat as a my civilian practice, but also wearing my Navy hat, like thinking about combat medicine, that other guy, he may not have any externally visible injuries, but I think I might have two patients. Like I, I look at that as I have two patients until someone tells me that guy's not my patient. And and that could be a fair reading of the situation. If that happened in your line of work, combat medicine wise, yeah, you- we just roll with it, right? Like it's 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 the field, and everybody's my patient until they stand up and say, "I am no longer a patient." <laughs> I like your sense of professionalism. Good. One of the things I loved about the oath was, you know, we have timely pharmaceuticals, and Marvel before it was Marvel was timely. And so I thought that was a nice little homage to yeah. their history with like, bravo, just reach well, back. Well done. It's good, good little homage. So, but we have timely pharmaceuticals and they want the elixir destroyed because if you have the cure all illness. You're out of business. Yeah. Are they violating any of their professional oaths by trying to destroy? the cure to every disease that could be plaguing mankind. We have two camps in the medical world, right? Like there's my guys and then there's the docs that go work for the pharmaceutical company because I say, hey, you guys are trying to prolong illness through maintenance as opposed to cure it. And they say, look, we can't cure it. We're doing our best to make things better. Oh, come on, man. I mean, what if you had a cure? Would you use it? Because that would put you out of business. And ah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. I've heard that before. I I want to believe that pharmaceutical companies want to cure people and not just maintain a disease. I I, I believe that. I agree. Uh, but they do. This this the story does paint them in a very bad light of being the bad guys for for their position. And I think the doctors in Timely Pharmaceuticals, they're breaking the oath because they have the cure, as opposed to, look, this cure is impossible to come up with. So we, since we can't come up with the cure, we're going to come up with a maintenance. This is, look, you have the cure. You, you sort of have this professional obligation to cure the world. And don't worry, there'll probably be some other disease come along because that's just yeah. how it happens. It's... <laughs> Life is really good without the plague. And, <laughs> exactly right. You know, I don't mourn the fact we don't have an iron lung industry anymore. I'm okay with not having polio. Exactly. Life's good. 
let's, yeah. let's keep going that direction. Well, let's talk about you know the, the, the Hobson's choice that Doctor Strange has at the end because the vial with the elixir is broken and there's a drop left. Wong's down and going to be dead any second. And, and Strange could either use that drop to manufacture you know, through magic and science enough to cure everybody everywhere and let Wong die or cure Wong and the world has all the diseases that still exist out there. Well, uh, I mean, as you know, I mean, the, the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. <clears throat> and, unless, we with, unless we go with Star Trek three, in which the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And so, exactly. <laughs> that might defy logic, but it's still the right call. So exactly, exactly right. And and so, you know, this is something we struggle with in medicine, right? Like the, the people who get a master's in public health, public health are interested in population, humanity. Whereas physicians were trained, you take care of the patient in front of you because that's the patient you have. You you can't knowingly let that guy die if you have the ability to avert that. And so in that case, the needs of the one outweighs the needs of the many. And that's the horrible choice he has to make. It's, a, it's the horrible choice. It's, it's not quite the trolley problem of, you know, the trolley's crashing down right. the, the hill and the brakes out. So you use a person as a human brake. You throw them out saying like, well, they were going to die anyway. It's like, no, that was willful <laughs> that you just – that was bad. We don't right. want you doing that to other people. And this, I, I do think Dr. Strange made the right call in saving Wong. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, the rest were speculative. Maybe I can duplicate this elixir. Maybe I can mass produce it. And maybe that will then solve the world's problems at the cost of this one dude's life for maybes. It's not a certainty. You don't know. Yeah, it's and that would kind of make you a bad doctor if you go. You know what? what? I'm gonna. It's one thing if somebody is self-sacrificing. It's another thing if you're used as right. you know the the doormat. It's like, dude, that's not what we do. Or like lawyers in the duty of competency. We have the duty of competency to our client. Right. So. Yeah, it's it's a really it was a tough call, but it's why I love this story. That yeah, it's great. It's the conflict and a great story. Plus, it's a, he's a great character. Grant, there's there are problems with some Doctor Strange stories, and like, how do you write something about a character that's so powerful that can do so much to make him complex and give him challenges? Uh, you know, like having to use. Hitler's handgun to kill the monster and his hands still shake. And so it's like, okay, so this isn't granted it's a large target he's shooting at, but still it's, it's like, okay, this is, this is neat. At Comic-Con, I got to hang out with the guys from red chapter clothing. And and right now I'm sporting my Dr. Strange shirt and it's awesome because in one direction, you know, the letters say Doctor Strange, and you read it the other direction upside down, it says Sorcerer Supreme. I, I absolutely geeked out and got four of these shirts because Hulk Smash was just 
too wicked awesome to walk away from. And then a couple gifts because that's that's how I roll. And I was chatting with these guys and they rock. I, I ch- check out their website redchapterclothing.com. Uh, they're on Facebook. Oh, they gave us some promo codes and said, like, have some contests. And those who can answer questions or, or whatever contest you guys want, here's a promo code that you could give as an award. So this is the first contest we are doing on one of our podcasts. Yes. This, this promo code is worth $25. So you should be able to get a shirt. And they're officially licensed Marvel shirts. They're sold at Disneyland and Disney World. They are comfortable. The art is rocking. So my question goes back for, if you're a Gen X geek like me or a really a younger geek who's been going way back looking at older stuff, is from... The mid-1980s, I think it's 1985, graphic novel, Into Shambhala, which is a Doctor Strange story. And the artwork is amazing. It was uh, written by J.M. DeMattis. And at the beginning of the story, as Doctor Strange is setting out on this adventure, what is the quote Doctor Strange remembers the ancient one saying at the beginning of the graphic novel into Shambhala. So the first person who can submit through the little form that we'll have on the website, uh, the answer will get the promo code. If you can't get to the website, tweet to us. Tweet the quote at the Legal Geeks. Whoever gets in first, and we'll look at the metadata to see the timestamp on who can answer the question. What is the quote Dr. Strange remembers the ancient one saying at the beginning of the graphic novel into Shambhala? You get the promo code for the Red Chapter Clothing t-shirt. And it's also, you'd, you'd probably enjoy the story as well. It's really good. But anyway, we'll talk about that another day. And so... Uh, Doctor, thank you for your service and for being here. This was fantastic. I love this stuff, as you know. And and uh, if I can put a plug in, yeah. the shirt makes people sort of strangely handsome. I can't quite explain it. It's, you know, when you have the raw materials to work with, it just all goes together. Uh, <laughs> if I'm not wearing a bow tie, I'm wearing a geek t-shirt. So it's, it's again, what we do in the legal geeks. It's what we do. And hopefully we'll do this again. And maybe, you know, we'll get to do that dream comic con presentation where we have a doctor, a psychiatrist, and a lawyer, and we'll get into the insanity defense and injuries. Yeah. We'll rock out. So with that, everyone, stay geeky, America. Stay geeky.